0: You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm Scott Dworkin. Today on the show, Grant Stern interviews Craig Unger. He's an author. He wrote House of Bush, House of Saud. And most recently, his new book is House of Trump, House of Putin, The Untold Story of Donald Trump and the Russian Mafia. This is a must-listen episode because in it, Craig reveals... That Donald Trump's helped launder over a billion dollars through his properties for the Russian mafia for decades, decades. That is crazy, but it, it obviously is true. There, there was a one one uh, report on it had it at three hundred million, and that was from Reuters, I believe. He also reviews what moeller is probably looking at and uh so it's really interesting interview and uh take a listen here to grant stern interviewing craig unger
1: and we're back with craig unger he is the author of house of trump house of putin the Untold Story of Donald Trump and the Russian Mafia. Craig, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So you've you've got a new book out, and it is absolutely, I think, destroying some people's perceptions of who Donald Trump really is by following the money, and the money trail leads back to the Russian Mafia. So I wanted to ask you a few questions about how South Florida is involved in this money trail, because you've written that Trump-branded real estate has been a vehicle for laundering money, for many many years. So, what would be the number one Miami connection in the the untold story of Donald Trump and the the Russian mafia? Well,
2: there are lots of Miami connections, and one. I mean, we saw Michael Cohen this week uh, is, uh, is is flipping, and while well, he was down there way back uh, 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 more than twenty years ago with casino boats off the coast of Florida, I, I you know I saw the. The, uh, the the Russians first came to to the Russian mafia first came to Trump going back to the late '70s and '80s, and Trump began laundering money. And uh, essentially, Trump loves gangsters as uh, as his customers because they pay top dollar because he doesn't ask questions and uh, they he allows them to buy anonymously. Uh, And you see in Sunny Isles, Florida, for example, uh, about a third of the residents are Russians. It's often been known as... little Moscow. And uh, he's been doing this all over the world. There are roughly 40 Trump Towers all over the world. There are about th- at least 1,300 units have been sold under conditions that appear to be laundering money. That is, they are shell companies, anonymous shell companies, and all cash purchases. Those are the two criteria that, that set off l- alarm bells about money laundering. Now, now back up for a second. How many units exactly is that? That's 1,300 condos. And think about it, uh, you know, a million dollars. That's a lot. That's that's a a lot of condos. And a million dollars is a low ball figure for a Trump condo. So uh, most likely that's well over a billion dollars. And that only includes his American properties. Uh, He owns many, many properties overseas.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I saw when Trump was inaugurated was a lot of questions about emoluments. And what they talked about was how it's difficult to determine what a luxury piece of real estate is really worth. And so it gave room for, let's say, error. But what you're saying is this error is more like intentional. Like maybe some of these are inflated prices... Because it's money laundering.
2: Well, it's quite possible. I mean, there's a concept, a legal concept known as willful ignorance, and and Trump seems to be, if you were to do the same thing 1,300 times, you may know what you're doing. I can't prove what's going (laughs) through his mind, but he should have figured it out by now.
1: Well, you know, you, you mentioned Michael Cohen. And, uh, and, of course, his plea deal is, is massive news. And he actually just visited Miami uh, in April to meet with the Qatari delegation. Um, you know, so, I mean, this is something that's happening in South Florida. I'm just trying to let our listeners know. So I wanted to move on to Felix Sater. He's a very interesting character. And I don't know if you've seen it, but I've received a couple of emails from his attorney, and they're not exactly grammatically correct, but they said things like, we will taking legal action. And I did print all of those emails, and they even confirmed some of the stories I've been writing. But what can you tell us about Felix Sater's relationship to the Russian mafia? Well, it, it
2: go- goes way back as well. And there, there are many unanswered questions. I mean, one of the interesting things, of course, is that Felix and Michael Cohn uh, have known each other uh, for roughly 30 years. And and uh, Michael Cohn married a woman, a Ukrainian woman, who Sater grew up with. Uh, so they go way, way back. And Sater's father uh, was, was uh, worked in, in old
1: friends from long Island yeah. Uh, uh,
2: yeah. well F- Felix Sater was from Brighton Beach area, which is where the Russian, Russian mafia was. Uh, Michael Cohn grew up in a sl- sort of fancier towns in Long Island, but w- one okay. of the interesting things about him was uh, he and his uncle owned. Uh, the social club restaurant in Bride and Beast that was the home base for the Russian mafia. And uh, Michael Cohn owned part of that until, uh, until the election. And he- Which is pretty crazy
1: when you think about it. That's like the Bada Bing, but for the
2: Russian mob. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, what what you see with I mean, we, we've had uh, Michael Cohn and Paul Manafort are, are two stones that have fallen this week. Uh, in my book, I have at least fifty nine contacts, fifty nine people who are intermediaries between Trump and the Russians and and an awful lot of them are part of the Russian mafia. Uh, as I say, uh, uh, Cohn and Manafort are just two of those. And when you put together the whole 59, I think you begin to see the whole picture. And this is sort of, uh, to me, sort of the roadmap that I believe Robert Mueller will be following.
1: Well, one of the things that I find very interesting, and it's something that we actually, I heard in a podcast that I produced from Tom Arnold, but I've heard it from other places, which is that the Russians were talking with Donald Trump about running for president in 2013 when the Miss Universe pageant was ongoing. He had considered it in 2011 and stopped. Everybody, you know, I thought it was because of maybe what was going on in Scotland with that crazy land development. But uh, what is the relationship between the the Russians and Donald Trump running for president? Because it always seems to come up in tandem. It seems like this Russia and, and running for president always seem to be somehow related, whether it's Gorbachev, back in 1987, meeting with Gorbachev and then taking out the big ad. Where where do you think this fits into your Picture. I,
2: I think it goes way back, and the Russians were looking at him in, really as early as the 70s, even when he married uh, Ivana Trump, uh, his first wife, who, who was originally Czech, and Czech uh, uh, security were spying on him. And if you look at the, the files uh, of them, which I quote in my book, it, it talks about him being pressured to run for president. That's, that's the word. He's being pressured to run for president. I was a New Yorker back then. I, that, that was shocking to me
0: this episode of the dworkin report is brought to you by resistors like you we aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out one of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can thanks again for your support let's get back to the show
1: Well, well, let me tell you something that's interesting, because I interviewed Roger Stone, another infamous South Florida resident, and I interviewed him on May 1st of last year. And he said something that one of my listeners and readers pointed out. He said that he began pushing Trump to run for president in 1988. Absolutely. I- and nobody else has reported that before. And he thought it was very significant. I thought it was significant because it confirmed the Czech story. But maybe there's something else there. Well, I, I,
2: I mean, there, it, it did start then. When you, the use of the word pressure is interesting because it suggests they have something on him. And I interviewed General Oleg Kalugan, who uh, was head of counterintelligence for the KGB. Now lives. He's defected and now lives outside uh, Washington, D.C.
1: Uh, right Maryland, right? Yes.
2: Yes. And uh he, he talked to me—he he was actually Vladimir Putin's boss. Uh, he was head, oh, wow. head of counterintelligence, and he was referring to Trump's first trip to Russia in 1987— and Kalugin told me, uh, I would not be surprised if the Russians have, and Trump knows about them, files on him during his trip to Russia, this is 1987, and his involvement in meeting young ladies that were controlled by Russian intelligence. Uh, that's a pretty serious charge. And, I mean, we heard similar charges from the Steele dossier. This is a different period, however— And this is not just uh, stuff that uh, we've heard similar charges from our own CIA, but this is from the KGB as well.
1: Well, did Kalugin express any concern about his own safety? Because we've seen that Russia has retaliated very fiercely against those who have left the security services and who have talked about their time in, in the KGB or in the FSB. Although I know he is Older Guard, but still, is, is he concerned? He,
2: uh, he didn't seem to be. I mean, I think he seems to be uh, feel that in the United States he's safe. But certainly, uh, you know, I, I dedicated the book to people who have been killed investigating this. Lots of journalists uh, and intelligence operatives such as Alexander Litvinenko, who was poisoned with polonium. Uh, uh, there's... Uh, Paul Klebnikov, who was Forbes magazine's uh, the Russian edition of Forbes, was murdered uh, uh, about 15 years ago. So this is very,
1: very serious stuff, and Putin does retaliate. Well, we've we've only got a couple minutes left, but I wanted to ask you one last question. You, You wrote that Tom DeLay and Jack Abramoff, that particular scandal, is still relevant today. And that's something that I've written in my work as well. Why do you believe that that scandal from 2006 is relevant? In 2018.
2: Well, I think more than 20 years ago, money began pouring into uh, from the Russians into the Republican Party. Mostly Republicans. Occasionally, they would try Democrats as well. But you know, one of the big parts of the scandal, to me, is what's legal. Uh, It's not not what's illegal. That is, with the K Street lobbying system, for example, the Russians studied this. I I wrote a book called House of Bush, House of Saud, and I showed how the Saudis sort of uh, weaseled their way into power through the K Street lobbying system. Right afterwards, a member, uh, a guy from the Russian consulate called me and took me to lunch and wanted to talk about it, and it looks like the Russians have followed the same game plan in many ways. And we, we, we saw... We've seen money flow—Russian money go into Republican super PACs. Uh, They wanted to actually bribe Tom DeLay, according to one of my sources, and give him a car straight out. And they were advised, no, 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 give it uh, to—go through K Street or give it through Super PAC. And they sort of brightened and said, oh, you guys have uh, legalized bribery.
1: How how wonderful. Yeah, and then uh, since then— All of the campaign finance laws have grown even more lax, except for the ones that Donald Trump seems to be interested in breaking. Exactly. I mean, you have money, for example, went
2: through Leonard Blavatnik, who's a Ukrainian oligarch, but he's a naturalized American. So he put about $11 million into the Republican senatorial campaign committee, and that ends up going to Mitch McConnell.
1: Well, don't you think it's interesting that Blavatnik had never given more than 100 uh, donations Uh, On the federal level, in any campaign until 2015-16, and in both 2015-16 and 2016-17, Blavatnik has actually given in excess of 5,000 donations, uh, by my count, about eight checks per day every day for several years.
2: Yeah, the change in behavior and just how widespread all this is makes you think that it can't possibly uh, be—this has to be an operation. It's not random. It's not coincidental. When I go through these 59 contacts uh, uh, between Trump and Russia, you know, this is an operation. It is an intelligence operation. It started off as money laundering, I believe. uh, but it it, uh, it evolved into something much, much more, and the Russians realized they hit the jackpot uh, and, uh, oops, they ended up putting an asset
1: in the Oval Office, and that's pretty scary. Craig, where can our audience take this conversation onto the Internet after the program, and where can they find the book? Well, the book is
2: in uh, bookstores everywhere, and they can follow me on Twitter. And by the way, I've had great help from a wonderful researcher named Olga Lautman, who uh,
1: I believe has worked with you on occasion. She is absolutely fantastic, and I'm sure if she was working with you, your book is phenomenal. Well, she, you know, I got through her. I
2: got access to all sorts of Russian documents, but in addition to that, she is uh,
1: just a, a wonderful resource. Well, Craig, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Okay, thanks for having me.
0: Isn't that crazy? That is a lot of money, a billion dollars, a billion. And that's a low estimate. You know, if you've been doing this for decades, you're good at hiding money as well. Well, we have Robert Mueller, who probably can find it. I'd like to thank uh, Craig Unger. Go out and buy his book, House of Trump, House of Putin, the Untold Story of Donald Trump and the Russian Mafia, right now. I'll post it below the podcast link. But it's a must-read. It's an eye-opener. It's a big eye-opener. Thanks again to Grant Stern for doing the interview. Producer, working hard on the website, which you can visit, dworkinreport.com. Check it out. We are aggregating the news for you. So check it out when you get a chance. Thanks again for listening. Onward!